This is the Divine Truth Podcast. This is Patricia Sanders, and we're listening to A.J. Miller presenting his seminar called Secrets of the Universe. This is part nine. How's everyone feeling today? Not too bad? Good. That's good. And um, what I was going to do today, just to firstly just get us to start, start off, and, uh, is to describe some of the features, I suppose you could say, of progression, progression spiritually and emotionally on the divine love path for you. And then once we've got into that discussion, you'll probably have a lot of questions about yesterday's presentation that I'd like to answer as well. So hopefully that'll be the uh, run of the mill today. We'll just answer a lot of your questions. The reason why I wanted to firstly present the differences between the divine love path and lots of other paths is so that you can get a bit of a flavour inside of yourself about how it encompasses all of your life. You can't just do little bits and pieces of things when it comes to God. God expects, and you could say God has designed her universe in such a way that if you want to come to her, there is only one way to do it. And this one way encompasses all areas of your life. There's not a single area of your life that will not be touched by progression using on the divine love path. And so... What I'd like to do is describe some of the different way, areas of that of your life that are going to be affected and describe some of the different areas that we can see a lot of the other paths don't incorporate. And the reason why is because on the earth today we have a lot of spiritual paths, literally millions really, of spiritual paths and many of them incorporate aspects of different parts of what God actually designed the universe to be. So... All of them have bits and pieces of truth, if you like. And the difference between the divine love path and all of these other paths is the divine love path of progression has the absolute truth. And the absolute truth, of course, is going to incorporate all of these little bits of truth. So you'll notice, oh, that's very similar to the Buddhist path there and that's very similar to the Hindu way of doing things and that's very similar to the Muslim way of doing things. That's very similar to the Christian way of doing things. That's very similar to the New Age things that we've learned. But all, all of it is incorporated, but not, not all of the factors of those different paths are incorporated. Only the truths of those paths are incorporated. That makes sense. So what you finish up getting is this whole life experience that is incorporated and, got, and your connection with God will change your entire life completely. It actually not only changes your life, but it actually physically changes your, your, your soul and your spirit body and your material body. So, for example, on all the natural love paths, they often talk about the seven chakras, for example, right? And in terms of keeping all of these chakras open and progressing that way. On the divine love path, there is actually more chakras that your body starts to develop. And after a while, once you become at one with God, I think there's 13 chakras once you become at one with God, not seven anymore. And so your, even your spirit body changes. And so, um, and while I haven't remembered everything about how it all changes and everything because of my own emotional suppression about my own fears that I'm working my way through now, the reality is that uh, the, physical, the physical body changes. What, what will happen on the divine love path is your physical body will start releasing its ailments. Right? And you'll get to the point where you have no ailments. No sickness, no disease at all. 
But when you're going through different emotions, those ailments will flare up until you've released them. And so you get this cycle of things going on even with your body, your physical body, where your physical body makes adjustments and changes. So my body has made huge changes um, over the five or six years that I've been really focused on doing everything again. And the body has just changed immensely. You will also have, you will also find yourself that, in the first century I said the eyes are the window into the soul. And you, when you look in a mirror, any of you done iridology? Yeah? Quite a few. So, when you look into a mirror, you'll notice these blemishes and specks in your eyes all the way around the iris and, and in the coloured section. And you will notice even that clears up. You'll notice all of that, which is a reflection of what's clearing up in your body. So what happens is even your eyes become very, very clear and the more clear they become, the more you know you're releasing emotional injuries as well. And eventually they become so clear that if you take a photo of it, it's just all one colour without blemishes at all. And when you become at one with God, there is no blemishes at all in the iris of your eye, for example. You know how most of you have done some reflexology at some point? I had a you know, foot, foot reflexology. The same applies there. You know that there's these pressure points, right, that you can press and it can release or connect to different parts of your body and release different emotions if you allow that to occur. Well, on the divine love path, you'll get to the point where there's no sensitive places on your feet at all. Right? Where there's no, where you can press any pressure point and nothing, nothing hurts. How many of you have done their deep tissue, deep tissue massage, for example? Yeah, quite a few. With deep tissue massage, the idea is to get right, right deep into, and it can be quite painful when you're getting it done, can't it? And, and if you allow your emotions to rise, you'll be crying or whatever. I remember the first time I came out, there was this lady in Dallas who did uh, my first three and a half hour session, she gave me a deep tissue massage and I just screamed and cried the entire session. And... When I came out, my whole body was black and blue with bruises. My whole body. And uh, it took a week before those bruises disappeared. Now, if she had done the same... Uh, in the last session I did with her, she did the same things and, and the first half of the session was really incredible because I was still in this terrible pain with different parts of my body and then all of a sudden I went through this barrier of fear and then I came out and what she, she was still doing the deep tissue stuff and it felt pleasurable. And I couldn't believe it all of a sudden, just by something clicking inside of me about fear and all of a sudden now my body responded differently to what she was doing. And it was just a state that I was temporarily in at that point. But it helped me also understand how you can be in that state and there's memories that I have of being in that state obviously from the first century and it helped me just connect with those memories of being in that state in a permanent way where there is no fear in your body. Now on the Divine Love Path it incorporates that as well. So, so if you can think of almost every single thing you've done, spiritual practice, physical body repair, health and all these other things of, uh, uh, that affect your life, and then if you look at all the spiritual side and the moral side as well and all the things you may have done there, what happens in the end is the Divine Love Path incorporates all of, these in certain, all of these things in certain ways as you would expect if it was connected to God when you think about it. Because obviously if we're connected to God then we're going to learn the truth about our soul, our spirit body and our material body. 
and not just guessing about it, we will come to know the truth about it, how it actually works in every single way. And in the first century I said the words, if you follow, if you, if you long for divine love, if you long for God's love, if you long for a connection with God, all these other things that you're seeking will be added to you. And what I meant was, your health will be added to you. Your eyesight will repair itself and be added to you. And all these other things will be added to you. So, so eventually what will happen is these things will disappear as you progress on the path. Right? And then all of the ailments of the body will disappear. If you have any body distortions because of emotions due to your growing up, they will disappear. So some of you might grow a few inches taller, for example, right? because of the different things that occur in the body as a result. And because in the end, all of these things are all affected by the emotions that the soul is storing. So on the divine love path, you can think of God's way, so we'll just... Uh, has a lot of different facets that we could start looking at. Um, for example, on God's path, one of the major facets is that we're going to look, have to look at absolute truth. So we have to get away from this concept that my truth is paramount. So on the, on the very many natural love ways, and particularly in the New Age movement today, this is very prevalent, there's this constant viewpoint that my truth is the most important thing. As long as I stay in my truth, everything else will work. Now, there is a truth to that concept. And the truth is that if you stay in your truth, you are being more, having more integrity. And integrity is a very, very important part of your progression. But just because you're staying in your truth, it doesn't mean that your truth is God's truth about a certain issue. So, for example, I may believe with all of my heart and all of my intellect that if I go to war, I can go to war under certain circumstances. So, the circumstance might be if I'm being attacked. I can go to, I've decided inside of myself emotionally that I can go to war if I'm being attacked and I can defend myself. So, I have this viewpoint inside of myself and I feel it's a truth and I'm allowed to defend myself when I'm being attacked. Well, on the divine love path, when you connect with God, you come to realise that that's not a truth anymore. If you defend yourself, you are actually breaking some laws of love. Right? Now, most of us, when we first hear that, we go, oh, but what about this situation? What about that situation? What about... Do you know what I mean? We start listing these kind of situations where we feel impelled to defend ourselves, but... That's our truth. We feel that we couldn't defend ourselves. But, on, but if you want to become at one with God, you'll get to a point where you never defend yourself again from attack. You may leave a place, but you'll never defend yourself. That's why in the first century I said if someone slaps you on the cheek, just turn the other cheek, right? Implying that they may slap you again, actually. And you wouldn't defend yourself from that. And people go, well, what about self-love then? What about self-love? Well, there's a whole aspect of self-love where self-love doesn't compromise love of the other. So if, I, if you slap me, you're not being loving to me. I agree. But if I slap you, am I being loving to you in return? No. 
Now, if I love myself, I won't compromise love for you. And so there's a big principle there that I've got to actually come to apply on the divine love path. Does that make sense? And that's the principle of coming to see God's truth about every single little situation, event and everything in my life. Now, the way I do that is once I release the emotional reason inside of myself, firstly, that causes me to attract you slapping me, then I'm going to get it slapped a lot less. <laughs> that's number one. Secondly, once... Once I do that, somebody still might come up and slap me. So when they slap me, I don't feel any more physical pain from the experience aside from just the initial pain. There's no other pain because there's no fear associated with the event. That's number two. And thirdly, there's no emotional rage that rises in me saying, what have you done to me? Because I love myself completely and so therefore I don't have any response of rage in return to the other person. So that's number three. And can you see by the time I start applying, and I've only listed three of the principles involved in that interaction, by the time I start applying the principles that I feel inside of myself emotionally once I'm connected with God, I am not going to respond in defence to anyone and I am going to be perfectly happy within myself about that. I won't feel the need. So let's apply that to a relationship. I go into the relationship this person yells and screams at me, which is a an attacking emotion that I'm getting from them, right? I'm on the receiving end. If I've developed in these areas, I won't feel that even as an attack. Now, I'm not saying that I'm intellectually jumping over all of this because the truth is that you can zen out and jump over a lot of things that happen to you. The whole Buddhist path, for example, is, a, is about that, the path of meditation connection with self, disconnection from desire, disconnection from, uh, a lot of times, disconnection from your own emotional response. And what happens there is you can zen out for what people go to you. You can explain it. You can reframe it in your mind and make the emotion go away. I'm not suggesting to do that. What I'm suggesting is don't reframe anything in your mind. Feel the emotion fully and the emotion will go away and it will never return. You'll never have to do that again. So what's another aspect of the, the God's way is regard to emotions. Emotions need to be fully experienced in order to be released. Now, a lot of different paths on, on the planet talk about emotions, don't they? So they talk about emotions. So you've, many of you have heard of EFT, for example, emotional freedom technique. So, yeah. Okay. So this is where you do the tapping thing in different parts. There's different pressure points of your body. If you're an acupuncturist or something like that, you would know many the many hundreds of pressure points in the body, many hundred points where you can release certain things, and you can actually tap certain places in your body and cause yourself to actually get out of the emotional response. Now, while that may look very attractive as a means to actually deal with certain emotions, um, firstly, do you think a celestial spirit goes around tapping their body to deal with a certain thing? Well, no, they don't. What they do is they fully experience their emotions and because they've fully experienced all emotions, all the negative emotion in their body that created the initial response is gone and because that's gone, there's no need to tap anything anymore. Can you see the difference? 
So when I fully experience and release an emotion, I do not any longer have a need to do something to my body to skip over an emotion, to actually even to access an emotion, because that is all released. So emotions is a very important part. Now, many of you would have heard of, um, what, what are there? There's Brandon Bay's stuff, um, journey work. There's uh, the EFT type thing. There's, there's lots of different emotional, you know, emotional intelligence work that a lot of people do as well. And this, like, I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds of different things, particularly coming out recently. The reason why these things are coming out recently is because there's a whole group of spirits now cottoning on to the idea that you do need to release emotions. And if you can do that on the earth before you pass, it's going to leave you very, very free once you get into the spirit world because you'll have a lot of emotions released. The issue, though, is that we're not often still allowing the emotional experience of these emotions. So, with emotions, we become... Childlike. Another word is a child that you take it to a supermarket, doesn't get its own way, anger comes up, big tantrum on the floor, doesn't care who it sees it, you know, just, you know, away it goes and, and, and that's what a child does. Now, I'm not suggesting you crack a tantrum every time you don't get your own way. Because cracking a tantrum is actually an emotional injury. Does that make sense? Of not getting your own way that you need to work through. Why don't you want to get the other way? You need to connect to that emotion. But, the child doesn't have to think about it. If, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried it because most people don't try it in the supermarket. And the child's there kicking and screaming on the floor, you know, cracking the tantrum. Or in the, you know, a lot of times you see it in the trolley. You know, they're sitting in the trolley, like trying to reach for the lollies, right? And, and like a lot of parents just quickly go past the lolly aisle, you know, or don't even, you know, look up to the signs, note lolly aisle, we bypass that and we walk down it later sort of thing which is an avoidance of the child's emotion. But if we go down the lolly on the child starts screaming, if you allow the child to scream and scream and scream, and this is why it isn't often done nowadays, because everybody starts looking at you and judging you and what they doing, what they doing, strangling that child or something, and so they don't do that. But if you allow the child to scream and scream, the child will go through a period where they go into this anger, rage, not getting my own way, which is the emotional injury. They're experiencing the effects of the emotional injury that they hold within them. Then they go into this place of crying in a deep, really uh, sobbing way. And once they get in there, they're now, they're now processing the emotional injury that actually created their need to demand things from you. And they might stay in that place. The screaming might take an hour. So this way isn't usually done in the shopping centre. And the crying might take 20 minutes or so. But afterwards you'll find the child will just have released that emotion completely and you won't even notice them demanding anything from you anymore. Right? Now, we've actually tried that. Mike's been with me in a car trying that with a young fellow that we both know, Mike's stepson. And... Uh, and it took him uh, just a bit over two and a half hours, there were six people in the car, it took him a bit over two and a half hours to do the tantrum thing first. So everyone in the car, we were driving from uh, Miami to Cape Canaveral, everyone in the car had to put up two and a half hours of screaming and deal with their own emotions about that, which was very interesting in itself. 
And in the first part, he was screaming, yelling, cursing everybody, swearing, you know, not swearing because he doesn't know the words yet, but, but just, uh, ta- you know, saying that I'm terrible, I hate you, I hate you, and then saying to his mummy, I hate you, mummy, and he just went on and on and on, and as each person dealt with their emotions, he eventually got into the core emotion and processed that core emotion, and straight after that, he was amazingly loving, right? In fact, when he was bought some strawberries, he shared them all with everyone in the car and all this, all this automatically happened. And this is the thing that we often do ourselves is we don't allow even our child to experience that. So we therefore are never going to allow ourselves to experience that. Right? And yet, it, when you hit the spirit world, this is the experience you're going to have if you want to be on the divine love path. You're going to need to connect with every single causal emotion inside of yourself and release it. So, the idea is to start doing that now. Now, there are many paths of spiritual progression on the earth that are already saying that to you, that are already saying you need to do with your emotional work. So that is one facet of getting to God, doing this emotional work. Then there's another facet. This is a facet that's not often... Considered, particularly on earth. In the spirit world, it's something that's known very, very well. But here on earth, we have a tendency to skip over. Although, if you look in every single spiritual path on earth that talks about God, generally there's a whole lot of you must, you must not list of things you t- to do. Does that make sense? So you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you know, and so forth. And, you know, we often refer to them, if we come from a Christian background, as the Ten Commandments, you know. I practice the, you know, I've quite often heard from people, I practice the Ten Commandments. That's all I need to do in my interactions with others. And that is a part of coming to God, to be frank. Practicing morals. But God's perspective on morals and our perspective on morals are very, very different. Our perspective on morals is, as long as we act moral, then it means we are moral. Most of the time that's what we believe. So as long as I don't murder, I'm fine. That means that I'm free of that murderous emotion, if you like. No, it doesn't, actually. How many times do you think once you get into a rage you feel like throttling someone and how many times do you feel like actually murdering them even? Like, And the only reason why you don't is they're not there in front of you, number one. Number two, that there's no weapon to do it with, or, or number three, that you just know that if you do that, you'll get put in jail yourself or you'll get condemned yourself, number four. So, you know, as we go through the different reasons why, we start seeing actually that we do have murderous emotions inside of ourselves that we just don't act upon, right? With God's view of morals, the murderous emotion is what needs to be released. So instead of having a list of you must not that I actually do, there is actually, from God's perspective, you could say some you must not that you have to actually feel. Not just not do. You have to actually feel them. So in other words, when I notice inside of myself that I have a murderous emotion towards somebody, On God's part, I need to look at the underlying emotional reason why I have this emotion and I need to get to that emotion and release it before I can progress. 
Now you think about it. If I have had somebody hurt me, and hurt me a lot in my past, getting to those kind of emotions is a pretty like difficult process. But it is something that is essential on the divine love path. Right? So there's this morals evidence. We remember yesterday in our discussion uh, we were raised about the morals of a lot of spiritual paths being very like focused on free sexuality. And that's one area that that on God's path you won't you'll have to deal with those emotions, whatever is going on there. Right? God designed you to be completely sexual, but within a framework of love inside of yourself. Which brings us to this other part, the sexual part of your life. Now, on the divine love path, eventually you'll come into a com- complete and permanent sexual union with your soulmate. What that means is that there will be permanent sexual feelings flowing back and forward between you. And when you're in the soul union state, that is like an orgasmic feeling 24 by 7, if you like. So you will have this complete sexual union happening all the time in your life. Now, to get to that place means working your way through intergender emotional injuries about the opposite sex and about how you feel about your own body and your own sexuality. Now, for many of us, that's like a minefield, isn't it? Like you look back at the different relationships you've had and the hurt you got from this person or the hurt you got from that person or you look at the, you know, how your mum and dad think about things. There are many gay men or women who are not even ready to even tell their mum and dad, let alone somebody else, that they're gay. Or in fact, they find it probably easier to tell somebody else other than their mum and dad that they're gay because there's a lot of judgment and a lot of criticism about sexuality. There's a lot of shame. We're going to have to work through all of those emotions on the divine love path. And to be frank with you, it's quite like enjoyable to work through them because every emotion you release causes you to be more connected with yourself, more connected to your own desires and more connected to later on if you're not if you're single, later on in a partnership, more connected to your partner. But we have so many intergender injuries and we have them multi generationally, you know? Each generation has this really deep, deep issues with regard to sexuality. And would someone just like to open the door there for that lady who wants to get in? They're both locked, are they? Yeah. If you. Yeah, no, right. Alright, so can you see that if I'm wanting to progress on the divine love path, this is an area of my life that I'm going to have to heal. Because God created you as a sexual being. So a lot of people have this viewpoint of spirituality that it's not holy to be sexual. But you think about what people say about my life in the first century. What do they basically say? That I was a virgin all my life. Not true. I was a virgin until I met my soulmate and then we made love. So... What, ha- what happens is that on this divine path you will need to heal these particular issues within yourself. Heal these particular sets of injuries. 
Now, we can't just skip over them. We're not going to be able to skip over our sexual injuries. Right? When, when I say skip over them, you know, what, one way we skip over them is we find a nice man or a nice woman who doesn't trigger us too much. And then what we do, you know, for example, if I'm a lady who only wants to have sex once a month, right? now compare that to 24 by 7 orgasm. Like you can see where you're headed, 24 by 7 orgasm, and you only want to have sex once a month. Right? So there's some injuries in there. Does that make sense? That need to be dealt with in between that gap, right? Now, now, if I'm in that state, I'll be very, very tempted to find a man who feels that sex is unholy or something like that, that, that sex is a bad thing, and I will connect with him because he feels nice and safe and secure and he feels like he's got everything together sexually, you know, he loves my soul, he doesn't just love my body, all that kind of thing going on. In other words, he's working around my emotional sexual injuries and so it feels good I can have a safe relationship with a man we have a wonderful relationship we have a wonderful partnership and my question would be yes but are you headed for 24 by 7 orgasm is that what you're headed for but if that's not what you're headed for then and you don't want to get there then look at the emotional injuries there's something going on you see on the path to God you're going to have to look at those emotional injuries whatever those are now, then on the other side of the, that sexual coin, if we could call it, a lot of men have the injury that it doesn't really matter what partner they have sex with, you know. As long as they have sex, everything's fine. Right? Well, that's another set of emotional injuries. So they think 24 by 7 orgasm sounds pretty good, right? But the problem is they don't care who it's with. Right? And there are a lot of moral sexual injuries involved with that that they'll need to work their way through because actually God designed you to have a sexual relationship with one person in the end. That would be this 24 by 7 relationship, if you like. And it's an incredible state to be in. But it takes work, working through different emotional injuries. So you can see morals, emotions start tying into the sexual side of our life and we start needing to deal with different things. Then there's this whole other area that we have called free will. Remember I said yesterday that on the divine love path, the secret, one of the secrets of the universe is God designed you to have free will. That means God designed your partner to have free will too, by the way. Not just you, you know. And so, so what that means is that I will actually honour the free will of my partner. Now, what if my partner decides she wants to have sex through one of her injuries with someone else? Well, I'm going to honour the free will of my partner. Now, that's pretty challenging, isn't it, in that situation to do that? That would be very challenging. What if my partner even just wants to do something like, I want to go sailing, I'd love her to come along, but she doesn't want to go sailing, she wants to knit for the day. Whether that is the case or not. <laughs> She's allowed to do that and I'm allowed to do what I want to do. And I need to deal with my emotions about that in the partnership. What happens if, uh, if I have a lot of desires in terms of... And again, again, by the way, this also means, this free will thing means, even if the other partner's desires are in disharmony with love, I need to allow them to take those actions. 
Now, I'm not saying that I have to stay around while they do it. Right? I'm just saying that my love of free will would enable my partner. So, my partner does things for me automatically, like maybe every night she makes me a meal. After the third night, I'm starting to feel to myself, well, is this really what she wants to do every night? You know, If I love my partner and I love this aspect of free will, I have to start asking myself that question. Is she really exercising her free will or does, does she think that's her role? Because role isn't free will anymore, is it? As soon as I put myself in a box and create a role, I am now not got the freedom of expression. Right? So I'd have to ask myself, am I enabling my partner's free will? Yes, we both need to eat, but what's stopping me from cooking tonight? Aside from the fact that maybe I can't cook very well and might need a few lessons. Right? Can you see how we need to work our way through those issues on the Divine Love Path as well? Thank you for listening. The website for this show is divinetruthpodcast.wordpress.com and you can find AJ and Mary's website at divinetruth.com. Their YouTube channels are Divine Truth and Divine Truth FAQ.